Dear brother, as promised, more on the cube now follows. You are of course aware that from a macrocosmic perspective, creation, by which I mean the universe, is the house of God, and from a microcosmic perspective, the soul is the house of God. It follows then that the temple can only be an inspired, symbolic and material representation of both the universe and the soul, wherein we may experience both the presence and know the will of the divine. In symbolic terms, the form of creation may be thought of as a cube within a sphere. The perfect form of the sphere represents the infinite light within which creation takes place. The symmetrical form of the cube represents creation in the context of duality, which we know as space-time. The tetrahedron, a form of pyramid, and the cube are, geometrically speaking, the first expressions of three-dimensional existence. These forms emerge out of the monad as an evolving progression of number and form, thus from the point to the line, from the line to the plane, and from the plane to the first solids, the tetrahedron and the cube. However, the symbolism of the tetrahedron applies more to the nature of energy and spirit. Thus it is that we must look to the cube for the representation of creation. The cube forms a three-dimensional square that demonstrates the six primary directions above, below, left, right, before and behind. In Matthew 16 verse 18, Jesus says, And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, or Petra, and upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In John 1 verse 42, Jesus says, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, and thou shalt be called Cephas, or Cephas, which translated is Petra, or Peter. The word Petra means rock, which suggests a solid foundation for the building of a house. The word kephaz is rendered by Jesus as stone, but can equally mean a rock. In the Kabbalistic system of Gematria, a form of numerology, the sum of the word kephaz is 729, which is a cube of nine. Thus the cube of nine consists of 729 cubes, and of these, the total amount accessible from the surface of the cube, is 486, the grammatic sum of the word Petra, implying the cube of nine was to be the basis or foundation of the church. This is particularly significant when viewed in the context of the words of Jesus in John 18:36, And I quote, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. End quote. The cube is four square to every direction and represents the entire expanse of the material universe in three dimensions. However, in microcosmic terms, it represents the body, wherein dwells the soul. Our ancestors generally designed our temples with these principles in mind. In ancient times, the cube often represented both the basis of constructing the temple and the inner sanctuary of the sacred space. The arrangement of the temple is traditionally based upon scriptural references, particularly the following. 
Exodus 26, Numbers 2, verses 1 to 34, Ezekiel 1, verses 4 to 28, Revelation 4, verses 1 to 10, and Revelations 21. The sacred space consisted of an area twice as long as it was wide, thus defining an area of a double cube. The first part, which was accessible to all, was called the outer court, known in ancient Judea as the court of the Gentiles. The second part, with restricted access, contained the temple proper, known to the people of the Exodus as the tabernacle. The tabernacle was thirty cubits in length, ten in breadth and ten in height. It was divided into two parts. The first, called the holy place, was ten by twenty cubits. This was also divided into two consisting of the outer court, wherein priests received offerings and performed purification rites. It corresponds to the physical body of the senses and the world of the four elements. The second part, the inner court, corresponds to the lower mind, the psychic and mental realms, influenced by the zodiac and the planets. It is a place of internal purification. The most holy place, whose length, breadth and height were also ten cubits, was divided from the rest of the tabernacle by a curtain or veil hung upon four pillars of sheeting wood. It corresponds to the mind purified of the dross of matter and planetary influences, in which the soul, free from the influences of the sublunary world, could commune with the divine. Herein was kept the Ark of the Covenant, which corresponds with man's highest principle, pure spirit united in God. The orientation of a sacred space, or a temple, is derived from an ancient and universal procedure that constitutes a rite in the proper sense of the word. A pillar is set up in the place chosen for the sacred space of the temple, and a circle is traced around it. The pillar serves as a gnomon, and its shadow thrown onto the circle marks its extreme positions in the morning and in the evening. These two points are connected by an east-west axis and are used as centres for marking out, with a cord used as a compass, two circles which give the north-south axis. A further two points are formed from the north-south axis from which the cube is established. In recent history, the orientation of the temple has generally been along the east-west axis, with the entrance in the west. However, in ancient times, many temples were arranged with the entrance in the east, so that the light of the sun entered the temple and illumined the congregation who were situated in the west. In either case, the congregation and the celebrant faced east. The east-west axis describes the soul's movement from the darkness of the west towards the emerging light of the new dawn in the east, and as such, points towards the search for knowledge and understanding of its true nature. It corresponds with the Kabbalistic tree of life. The north-south axis alludes to the soul's involvement with life, of action and non-action, and may also be understood symbolically to represent the tree of good and evil. The interaction of both axes is represented by a regular patchwork of alternating contrasting tiles a checkerboard floor of night and day, representing the world of duality, depicting the ebb and flow of fortune, of life and death, good and evil, 
male and female, and all other such binaries. The orderly arrangement of which suggests that what takes place in this world is governed by divine providence. The checkerboard floor represents the world of dual contending forces, upon which we must learn to walk in perfect equilibrium, which is to say, it is our duty to rise above the influence of the appetite of nature of the first Adam. Various paths reveal themselves, among them asceticism and empathy, through either of which we will grow in knowledge and wisdom concerning the laws of God and how to live by them. Two pillars stand upon this floor, rising to the very heights of heaven or, from another perspective, descending from heaven to the lowest depth of existence. They represent the masculine and feminine dynamics of creation that are at work at every level of existence between heaven and earth. The two pillars also represent the dynamics of the positive and negative currents flowing between the two sides of the temple. A third, middle pillar, exists, but it's not obvious. This pillar is the soul who must learn to combine and control the powers of the two pillars, both within and without, to develop the qualities of strength and beauty and grow in empathy, knowledge and wisdom. At the dawn of each day, in the eastern quarter of the temple, or cube, there emerges the rising sun, representing the promise of rebirth, regeneration and resurrection. With the newborn sun cometh the light of a new understanding, that has the power to transform the sublunary consciousness of the mundane world. Here stands the altar upon which the old way of life must be offered up in sacrifice to God. Upon that altar, the earthy nature of the first Adam must die to the mundane world, if the second Adam is to be reborn of the spirit. In this lies a mystery concerning the nature of that which is offered and why. The eastern quarter of the temple is the station of the archangel Raphael and represents the spring equinox. The southern quarter of the temple depicts the high point of the sun's daily journey and as such represents that part of the day during which most creatures, humanity included, labour to secure the necessary provisions for survival. More significantly, it points to the work of spiritual regeneration, because man cannot live by bread alone. Indeed, the soul must toil not only to survive in the world, but also to understand its place and purpose in life. Thus to observe, to think, to meditate, is also work, which is essential if we are to engage with both nature and the divine, because it is only through such interior labour that the Holy Spirit enables the soul to acquire spiritual experience in this world. Because of this, the soul is understood to symbolise fire and incense, representing our purified acts and selfless offerings. It is the station of the Archangel Michael and the place of the summer solstice. The western quarter of the temple is the place of the setting sun and the realm of twilight and encroaching darkness. It represents death and the entrance to the land of the dead. It signifies a reactive state of mind where instincts rules the soul and as such alludes to visions and dreams of a carnal nature, both hopeful and fearful. It is from this realm that the soul must begin the long pilgrimage to the east, the place of regeneration, renewal and rebirth. As the body sleeps, 
the soul engages in another life, a life that is a mystery to most creatures, including humankind, many of whom know of that life only through dreams, which come and go on their own terms. During sleep, some, whether through dream or intuition, are inspired upon waking to seek knowledge of the spiritual reality of their existence. Thus in the West, the soul is motivated to search for spiritual knowledge and regeneration. This quarter is the station of the Archangel Gabriel, the Angel of Inspiration, and the place of the Autumn Equinox. The northern quarter of the temple represents the depth of night and complete stillness in comparison with the activities of the south. Here it is midnight, for the sun has reached its lowest point of the day. The complete absence of light signifies matter and material form in comparison to the south, which signifies energy and light. As such, the north denotes darkness, stillness and inactivity and alludes to the quiet repose of the soul in contemplation, wherein it may understand the interaction between spirit and matter. The North represents a time of prayerful silence, in which the soul turns to seek that spiritual presence that lies buried under the layers of its own nature, the finding of which is no ordinary task. Those who commit themselves to this undertaking must be prepared to engage in the time-consuming work of self-inquiry and meditation. For the path to success in this work leads the soul into the depth of one's own being to learn the difference between action and non-action, between stillness and movement, between silence and noise, in short, between self and not-self. The north is the station of the Archangel Uriel and the place of the winter solstice. The lower quarter, that of the floor upon which we stand, corresponds with matter and our earthly nature. It informs us that the material world, the earth, is the foundation upon which all things are established, that the laws of nature govern it and all things upon it, that we are duty-bound to respect it, which includes nurturing and respecting the physical body because it is a creature of earth. Upon the earth we learn to appreciate the wonders of life through the five senses and the discursive mind, which are tools that must be developed and shaped to serve the spiritual life. The senses are gateways, gateways that give the soul the opportunity to see God in nature, to see the divine in all things. The lower quarter also represents the underworld, and all things associated with it. As such, it is associated with corruption, vice, and the forces of evil. Thus, we are advised to avoid vice and nurture the virtues if we are to avoid the gravitational pull of the underworld. In nurturing the virtues, we establish the optimum level of care for the mind and body. Not too much and not too little. Too much of the things of the earth leads the soul towards being a slave to the appetites of the first Adam, whereas too little, in fasting for example, may destroy the health of the aspirant in soul, mind and body. The upper quarter corresponds with the heavens, with spirit, with the divine, with the gods and with our spiritual source and home. It is commonly believed by many that we are creatures of light and energy that descended from the heavens and took on a mortal frame and existence. It is also commonly believed that we will return to the heavens when we die, but not without toil and effort. 
Some maintain that the more we aspire to heaven and cultivate the virtues, the heavenly qualities, the more likely we are to succeed in returning. Others believe that we will inevitably return no matter what we do. My experience has taught me that there is undoubtedly a moral dimension of our lives which determine its ultimate outcome. It is important to remember that the human soul is created in God's image and that image is the ideal humanity is seeking to express. It is the divine potential that lies at the heart of human nature and the evolutionary imperative to be or to become is the mechanism by which the unfolding of that divine potential will reach its fullest expression. The development of the virtues, prudence, fortitude, temperance and justice is essential to this endeavour if we are to achieve that objective. The established path of the sun is from east to west via the south. This movement defines the right-hand path, defining a cosmic principle of light, energy and warmth, flowing naturally in accordance with the sun. On earth, all life is primarily sustained by the sun. Thus, following the right-hand path alludes to a natural life lived in the light. It is understood to be dexter, positive and light. Consciously reversing the current of light and energy from east to west via the north is the left-hand path. It is an opposition to the natural flow of life, causing disorder within an established field of energy such as a person, a family, a community or an organisation. Consequently, magically diverting energies, spiritual, electromagnetic or otherwise, from their natural course is both spiritually dangerous and psychically damaging. In short, the left-hand path defines a life where self-interest rules supreme, regardless of the impact on society and the well-being of others. It is understood to be sinister, negative and darkness. Thus it was written many years ago, Stay not on the precipice with the dross of matter, for there is a place for thine image in a realm ever splendid. From the Chaldean Oracle 147. It is also written, Stoop not down unto the darkly splendid world, wherein continually lieth a faithless depth, and Hades, wrapped in clouds, delighting in unintelligible images, precipitous, winding, a black, ever-rolling abyss, ever espousing a body unluminous, formless and void. Chaldean Oracles 145 The internal dynamics may be viewed as taking place on three levels or modes. From the top down, it consists of essence, energies and form, which means everything we experience and perceive via the senses is the form of the energies fulfilling the will of the divine essence. Alternatively, from a human perspective, the levels or modes may be considered in terms of biology, psychology and spirituality. Our general experience of this process is from the bottom up, a sea of sensation consisting of a tangled mass of thoughts, feelings and images that is only truly understood through education and observation. Another model defines creation in terms of the four elements which are often presented hierarchically, in descending order, fire, air, water and earth, describing a progressive condensation of energy into material form, consistent with the needs of the divine. 
they are also described horizontally. Air to the east, fire to the south, water to the west, and earth to the north. As such, they represent the qualities of matter as manifest in this sublunary world. Thus, earth may be viewed in biological terms as the body, in psychological terms as the need to survive, and in spiritual terms as the first Adam. Water may likewise be viewed in biological terms as representing the emotions and feelings, in psychological terms as the like-dislike principle so many of us live by, and in spiritual terms as the desire to live in peace. Air may be thought of in biological terms as representing mind and thought, driven by the instinctive nature of the first Adam in psychological terms, as worldly discernment, and in spiritual terms, living a good life. Fire may be viewed in biological terms as representing the will to elevate the first Adam, in psychological terms, living according to one's own rules, and in spiritual terms, living a religious life. You know, we could talk about this subject indefinitely, but I think the time has probably come to draw it to a close, and we will take this up in another talk. Thank you.